0: Is it on? Okay. All right, we're going to be in the Gospel of John tonight. John chapter 1. Now, I want to ask you guys a real question. So oftentimes when people preach from the pulpit, they like to ask rhetorical questions. I want actual feedback for this. So if I were to ask you guys, who desires to be successful, who would raise their hand? Just in life in general, who desires to be a successful person? I think all of us would probably raise our hands. And so I did a little research. I was thinking about, um, you know, wanting to be successful. What does that look like? And a lot of times when we, when we desire something like that and we're not exactly sure how to achieve that, we go looking for that in places. So if you go to like a bookstore like Barnes and Noble or, you know, whatever other bookstore you know of, they will have an entire section that's all about, it, it, typically it's called self-help. And it's got books about how to be a successful person. Uh, things that you know, all rich people have in common. Certain traits or, or certain things that they always do that's you know, typical of people who are successful. And there's also you know, a huge big section on you know, how to be a good leader. You know, if, if, typically everybody who is a leader wants to be better. And so people know that everybody wants to improve and that everybody wants to be better. And so typically... They take advantage of that by writing books, they do seminars, blog posts, all this. And you and I, you know, the type of people that aren't necessarily experts in that area, we're the ones that are searching for these things. And so we're doing Google searches, how to be a successful person. What are are the common traits of successful people in the world? And I want to know how I can sort of emulate that. And so I was reading the Gospel of John, and I was reading a certain passage here that that we're going to read and I was, I was just kind of confused on, what does this mean? Well, I don't really understand what exactly is going on here. And so I was praying about it, and, and as I continued to read it, I started to see that it's talking about this man named John the Baptist. John, the, in the beginning of his gospel, talks quite a bit about John the Baptist. And what, we see, what I see about John the Baptist here is that there's certain characteristics about John the Baptist that I want to be true of my life. That there's certain things that, that we see here that should be characteristic of all believers. So look with me at John chapter 1. We'll start in verse 29. And we'll just read it down to verse 34. It says, The next day he, talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. the Son of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the life of John the Baptist. We are grateful that he came as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, proclaiming that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. That He is truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we look at this little snapshot of John the Baptist's life, God, we ask that you would help us to see that there are certain characteristics of John and the way that he lives that should be true of us. All of us who call ourselves believers, who believe in Jesus for eternal life. God, help us to see these things and help us to apply them to our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So much like we we see that there's certain characteristics of successful people. We try to emulate that. I wonder how much time we spend thinking about what are some common characteristics of spiritually mature people. I wonder how many of us have approached the Bible and we read about certain figures in the Bible and we we examine their life to see how is their life different from mine? How How can my life be a little bit more like this person? And John the Baptist is a a great figure to do this with because he is obviously an important person. Jesus speaks extremely highly of John the Baptist. And so when I was reading this this little portion of text, I, I saw three characteristics of John the Baptist that I think need to be true of all of us believers. The first one is that mature Christians are humble. That's the first one. The second one is that mature Christians are not afraid to speak boldly about the truth. And the third one is that mature Christians live their entire lives for their Savior. Those are my three points tonight. Number one, mature Christians are humble people. Look at verse 30. This is John speaking. He says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. So that in itself may not sound like a, like a huge, humble statement. But let's look at what John says, John the Baptist says previously uh, before this, this text. So in verse uh, 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Look at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. Then skip ahead to verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So let me put this in context for you. What's happening right here is that John the Baptist is causing a stir. John the Baptist has come on the scene. Now he lived in the wilderness for a long time. So now he's come on the scene and he's preaching uh, that you need to be baptized, that you need to repent of your sins because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message of John the Baptist and so he's causing a stir because in Israel at this time the Jews are the dominant religion and they're saying that we need to follow the law of God. That's how we're saved and they had all kinds of laws. Literally, you could not work on the Sabbath. One of their laws was you could not spit in the dirt because that would create mud and that's doing work on the Sabbath. This is how extreme they took the law. Okay, so this is the environment that John the Baptist is operating in. People are saying if you spit in the dirt on the Sabbath day, you worked. Okay, so now John is saying it's not all about the law. It's about this one who's coming after me. Okay, it's about repenting of your sins because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so now John is causing a stir. And what happens right before this passage as well is the Jews send the priests and the Levites to John the Baptist. And they ask him, who are you? Because John is causing such a stir, and so they're wanting to know, who is this guy? We need to know. And John is absolutely clear. He says, I am not the Christ. I am not the one that this is all about. I'm not the one that I'm preaching about. He is coming after me, but trust me, he ranks before me. He is so much greater than I. See, John the Baptist recognizes that he is not what it's all about. That there is someone else. And what he's doing is when he's getting all of the attention, he is reflecting that attention away from himself and, and directing it towards the proper source. And that is humility. John is exhibiting humility. I think it was last year, Kevin Durant was named the MVP of the National Basketball Association. And so whenever that happens, they, they, there's a big ceremony. They give them uh, an award, and then the, the person typically gives a speech. Well, I'm not a big fan of basketball. Anyone can, can, who knows me knows that. But Josh uh, was talking about this speech and, and a couple others as well. And so I decided that I was going to go on YouTube, and I was going to see what this speech was all about. And so I'm watching this speech, and it's long. It's like 45 minutes long, and he's just up there the whole time and now he had just been presented with the most valuable player award in the entire NBA there's a lot of players so he could have stood up there and said you know I got this award because I played hard I'm a great player I'm probably a little bit better than everybody else and that's why I got all the votes you know people probably would have not appreciated that but what he did was he stood up there with a you know at a podium like this and he went through each and every single one of his teammates he named them by name And then he started talking about things about them that make me who I am. Without this individual person, I would have not be here to receive this award. And he went straight down the line. He recognized every single one of his players. He recognized his coaches. And then at the end, he starts talking about his family. And he he said the famous line about his mom, you know, you're the real MVP. And so we see that all over Twitter about everything. But what he said was, You know what, without my mom, without the sacrifices that you made for me, mom, there's no way I'd be where I am right now. And so clearly, he was in the limelight. He was the focus. But what he did was he recognized that without all these other people, there's no way I would be here. There's no way I would be accepting this award. And so what I need to do is I need to properly address the people who are responsible for me being here. And he's deflecting the attention away from himself and giving it to the people who properly deserve it. That's what John the Baptist here is doing. And that's what we need to be doing. You see, you and I, when we admit to being a Christian, maybe in our workplace or in our schools, you know, and if, and if we are truly living the way God has, has told us to live, we may be being called, you know, the goody two shoes or, you know, we're too good for, you know, to hang out with whoever. And we may get a lot of attention for that. And are we directing that attention back to Christ? Are we giving Christ the credit for what he has done in our life, for the change that has taken place? I know for me, when I was saved, there were certain sinful activities that were happening in my life before I was saved. And then after I was saved, those things stopped. They ceased. And so the people that you hang out with notice that. Are you taking credit for that yourself? Or are you giving credit Where credit is due, and acknowledging that this is God who's changed my life. It's not about me. I don't deserve all this credit for the change that's happened. This is what Jesus has done in my life, and He is the one that deserves the credit. That's what humility is. But the opposite of humility is pride, and I think we see this all too much in in our own lives. We are naturally prideful people. We we tend to think too much about ourselves. A lot of times when we, the way we see this in church is we, uh, we look around at, at other people in church and we see their sin and we recognize they're a bad person, man. They're just sinning, just living in sin. They don't care. What happens when we're prideful people is that typically we tend to see the log in somebody or the speck in somebody else's eye before we see the log in our own eye. This is what happens when we're sinful people. So if you are sitting there and you're that person who's coming to church each and every week and you're looking at everybody else and saying, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not like them because they're just wicked. They're sinful. That's pride. And that is not humility. We're thinking way too much of ourselves. We're comparing ourselves to others to make us feel better, to make us feel like we are something that we're not. And that is not at all a characteristic of the people of Jesus Christ. We see this in Jesus. Jesus is extremely humble to the point where He washes His own disciples' feet. Probably a very disgusting job. He humbles Himself to serve others. Even though Jesus is what it's all about, He was deflecting attention to the Father. This is what we, this is what we need to be as the people of God. We need to be humble people. People who recognize Without Jesus Christ, I am nothing. Jesus makes me who I am. And we, we need to give him all the praise and all the attention for it. One of the things that we can do if we are prideful people is that we can pray. Because I want to, to tell you right now that I, I think there's a direct correlation between prideful people and people who do not pray. People who do not pray tend to be way more prideful than people who do pray. Because what happens when we pray is that we are having to admit that there is someone outside of us who is more powerful than us. When we pray, we are acknowledging, God, I can't fix the cancer that my friend has and so I have to pray to you because I know that you are powerful. It puts me in a position of admitting that I can't do it. I can't do what I'm wanting to do. God, I want my friend to be saved, but I don't have the power to do that. I have to pray to You and humble myself, recognize that I am under Your power and Your authority. The more you pray each and every day, I guarantee you, the more humble of a person you will be. But the less you pray, the more you'll think, I I can do it on my own. That's the reason you don't pray. It's because you think. You wake up in the morning... I got this. Did it yesterday. I'm still here. I must be able to do it on my own. That will cultivate pride in our lives. My next point is that mature Christians are not afraid to speak boldly the truth. Look at verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a bold statement that John the Baptist says. Now, let me just remind you again about first century context. The Jews, they firmly believe in God. They believe that they are the chosen people of God, which they are in the Old Testament. God makes that clear. And and they firmly believe that only God can forgive people of their sins. So what happens in um, Matthew chapter 9, there are some people who bring a, a paralyzed man to Jesus. And Jesus says to that man, the paralyzed man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Go. And the Jews, they freak out. They go ballistic. They're like, wait a second, hold on. You can't forgive anyone of their sins. Only God can forgive people of their sins. But what Jesus is is telling us in that passage is that He is God. John makes this abundantly clear in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do we know what the Word is? Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So John is very explicit that Jesus is God. So now when John sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, that's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And this is a bold statement because he's living in a culture surrounded by Jews, and they're all saying, no one can forgive sin except God. And if there's a person who's walking, who's just like me, has hands and feet and eyes and a nose and a mouth just like me, there's no way that person can forgive anyone of their sins. But John knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin. And John knows with all confidence that this one can take away the sin of the world. That he is the Lamb of God. He will suffer for all of our sins. This is a controversial statement when John makes it, I promise you. Probably the reason why John ends up in prison and ends up being beheaded. But what I want us to see is that John is not afraid to make bold statements about the truth. Are you and I, are we people who are not afraid to make bold statements about the truth? Now, I want to be careful about the way I say this because we can easily become people who say bold things about God just for the sake of being argumentative. Or, you know, we know that the gospel in and of itself, the gospel message is offensive to a lot of people. And so if we go around trying to offend people, by, by you know, saying things about the Bible or saying things about Jesus, if our intent is to offend people by what we say, that's wrong. But if we are pressed and we are asked about what we believe, and we speak the truth and that offends people, then that is a glorious thing. That's what John does. John knows this is the absolute truth, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. I am not afraid to say it because I know it's true. Similar for you and I, are we afraid to make bold statements about God and Jesus when we are pressed on what we believe? Because we all know religious people who just make like generic, general comments about God and and Jesus. The first person that comes to mind is Joel Osteen. If he's asked if he believes that there's a God, he will absolutely say, yeah, for sure, there's definitely a God. If he's asked, is Jesus the only way that you can be made right with God by believing in him? You better believe he's not answering that with a bold statement of truth. He'll say, well, that's between an individual and God. That's, that's not my, my place to say. But I want you to know that the Bible speaks to that question. The Bible answers that question, and you should not be afraid to answer it either. There will be times when people will be offended by our message, but Christian people are people who are not afraid to speak the truth. I hope you see that from John. I'm a a big baseball fan. I love the New York Mets, which has been painful for the majority of my life. But just recently, the second baseman, Daniel Murphy, who is an outspoken Christian, was asked about the possibility of having an openly homosexual teammate. So apparently there's someone in the minor leagues for the Mets that has the, the ability to come up into the majors. I have not heard about him, but he's openly gay. And so they asked, the, the media asked Daniel Murphy, who's an outspoken Christian, what do you think about this? And I was, I was really proud of his, his response. He said, you know what, I, w- I would tell him that without a doubt, homosexuality is a sin. The Bible condemns it. God created a man and woman. Marriage is between a man and a woman. He says, but just because I don't believe that homosexuality is acceptable and it's okay with God, that is not going to change the way I treat this person. I'm still going to try and be a great teammate to him. I'm going to try and be his friend. I'm going to seek to uh, build a relationship with him. But I'm going to let him know up front that I, I believe homosexuality is a sin. And that if you want to be right with God, you have to repent. Now, you, you and I both know that that is not a popular stance on the homosexual movement. But he, he stood up for what he believed. And he was not afraid to speak a bold statement of truth. Now, he didn't do it for the sake of offending people. He didn't do it for the sake of ruffling feathers. He did it because he was pressed on the issue. And he said, I can't deny what I believe. I'm going to speak boldly and I'm going to speak the truth because I'm not afraid of what God has done for me. I'm not ashamed. That should be you and I. We should not be afraid to stand up for truth. We should not be afraid to make it clear that our loyalty is with Jesus and not with anything else. My third point is that mature Christians live their entire lives for their Savior. Look at verse 31 and 34. John says, I myself did not know Him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that He might be revealed to Israel. Verse 34, he says, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now John was commissioned by God to come and to baptize. To baptize people with water And say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So God had commissioned John to do that. Absolutely he did. But John knew that that was the call on his life. He knew that his whole life was to make Israel know that Jesus is the Son of God. Look what it says in verse 31. For this purpose I came baptizing with water that he, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. This is John's goal in his entire life. His whole life is centered around doing whatever God has called me to do so that Israel will know that Jesus is the Son of God. That is my sole purpose. That's what everything I am doing is going to be about. And I want to ask you guys if you can say the same. Now all of us are not called to be baptized and coming out of the wilderness wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and honey and baptizing people for the repentance of sins. That's not, all of our, that's not the call on all of our lives. I would say that's not the call on any of our lives. But God has placed us in certain, certain places because there is a call on our lives. He's placed some of us in the workplace. He's placed some of us at home with our kids. He's placed some of us in schools, in seminaries, in churches. And are you living your life, your entire existence so that the people around you will know that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world? Is that what your entire existence is all about? Do you wake up in the morning and think, how can I today make it known to the people around me that I love Jesus and that Jesus died for their sins? Do we ever think that? Or do we just kind of go through life and get through another day so we can get home, watch our favorite TV show and go to bed. Christian people are going to be people who are actively looking to serve their creator, to serve their savior. No matter what it is they're called to do. I want to ask you guys real quick to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want us to kind of be self-reflective for, for a minute here. Think about just your lat, this last week of life. So from last Sunday up to today. And I want us to just think about how much time did we spend making Jesus known to the people around us? Just think about conversations you had, interactions you had, text messages you sent, Facebook updates... How much time did you spend making Jesus known to the people around you? And then I want you to think, how much time did you spend making yourself known to the people around you? How much time did you spend praising yourself and talking yourself up? You can open your eyes. now. I think if we were to put them on a scale, one of those scales that's got the, the weights on either side, I think for most of us, unfortunately, we would have to say that, that the side where we put ourselves is probably going to outweigh the other side. But if you've not been making Christ known, I can tell you that it's, it's, it's one of two issues. Either number one, you're, you're prideful. Or number two, you're afraid to speak the truth. Because those two issues, being humble and being bold to speak the truth, are always going to serve to, uh, to have to live a life that's all about your Savior. If you are not a humble person then you're going to be all about yourself. And the person who's all about their self is not going to be living a life that desires to make the Savior known. And let me tell you, if if you're afraid to speak truth when you're pressed, if you're afraid to say what the Bible says, then there's no way that you're going to live a life that is all about making the Savior known because there's going to be plenty of times when you have to speak the word boldly. You have to speak the truth and sometimes it's going to offend. So if you're not a humble person... And if you're not a courageous person, then chances are you're not living your life consumed with how to make the Savior known. But I want us to know that that if that's us, then there's hope for us. Because Jesus, like I said, the more we pray to Him, the more we seek Him, It will cause us to be humble. And the more we spend time with him in his word and and learn who he is and, and what he's like. And the more the more time we spend getting to know God. It will increase our faith in him and it will make us more courageous. It will make the truth spill out of us without even having to try. I'm sure there's been instances in our lives where we think, man, I I could really speak the truth here. It may hurt. They may be offended. They may not like it. Or I could just kind of sugarcoat it and make it a little easier. But I want you to know that the more you intake the Bible, the more you read, the more you pray, the more you humble yourself before God, the more it will just spill out of you. Because whatever you put in is what's coming out. And if you've never believed in Jesus as your Savior... He, he, he's beckoning you. Jesus would say, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Anyone who believes in me will have life forever. Jesus took the punishment from God on our behalf. I hope that being reminded of that humbles us. It's not all about us. And if it was, we'd be damned to hell. But Jesus came to take the wrath of God in our place. He died on a cross to make us right with God. That should humble us. And the more we get to know him, the more we seek him, it will make us bold. Knowing what Jesus has done for us on the cross will strengthen us to speak the truth even in the most difficult circumstances. And that will cause us to be a person who lives their life all about the Savior. But first you have to believe. You have to believe in Jesus for the salvation of your soul. If you never have, you can tonight. Confess to Jesus that you're a sinner, that you have offended a holy God And believe that he has died on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this message out of the Gospel of John tonight. God, we are grateful that you have put in place ways that we can be made humble by coming to you in prayer. Admitting to you that we are weak. Recognizing what you have done for us in Jesus on the cross. That should humble us. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would be seeking every day to know you more. To trust you more. And as we do, it would strengthen us and give us courage to speak the truth boldly. And to live a life that's all about making the Savior known to a lost world. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.